Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Hey there, part-time geniuses. Before we start the show, we wanted to take a minute to recognize a few of our brilliant listeners. During an episode on building the ultimate animal superhero, we challenged you guys to draw the bizarre creature created in that episode. This thing involved parts from the platypus, the salamander, the Texas horned lizard, the scarlet jellyfish, the eel, and so many more creatures. Now, I'll be honest, this seemed like such a crazy difficult task that I didn't expect we'd actually get many submissions, so we were thrilled when so many started coming in. I really wish we could give prizes to everyone who submitted a drawing, but please know you're all geniuses to us. Okay, here are some of the winners. We've got Andrea Burns and Jamie Pham, a pair of friends who decided to submit drawings together. We have Simon DeZubria Restrepo, who submitted our cartooniest drawing. And for our winner in the best kids drawing division, we have Delaney, who's 12 and a terrific artist. And the grand prize winner, this drawing was so insane. As I told the creator, I really want to see it as a poster, and we might just have to make that happen. But in first place, we have Natalie Lay. We'll post Natalie's winning piece on our Facebook page, and you guys will all be getting Part-Time Genius t-shirts and some other fun prizes. Thank you again to everyone who submitted drawings, and be on the lookout for other contests and upcoming episodes. Now enjoy the show. Guess what, Mango? What's that, Will? So I took a couple wrong turns on the internet this week, and I ended up in this gallery of libraries from the Middle Ages. And you know, book theft used to be a huge problem. So the first thing any self-respecting book collector would do is chain their books to their bookshelf. <laughs> like dog leashes? No, these things were so much thicker, like heavy-duty chains. If you look up the Hereford Cathedral in London, you see bookshelves filled with manuscripts. And in front of each book, there's just a curtain of chains hanging down because every one of those books is tethered to the shelf. <laughs> it's so imposing. That can be a great tactic if you actually want people reading the books. <laughs> but that wasn't even the best solution for protecting your library. If you wanted to upgrade, you could put your chain books inside a locked safe. It's kind of a nesting doll approach to book security. But if you were really looking for protection, the ultimate in book protection was... A curse. <laughs> of course, a curse. <laughs> well, they were a little more like little inscribed threats. That feels like such a Hail Mary. Like, you've got a thief who's broken into your home and then into your safe, sawed through a thick chain, got this Harry Potter sequel he's been dying to read finally in his hands, and somehow a curse is going to make him put the book down. I mean, that's the idea. Let me read you my favorite thread. It says, if anyone take away this book, let him be fried in a pan. <laughs> That sounds like such a Looney Tunes threat. I know it isn't that intimidating unless the book owner also owns a human-sized frying pan. <laughs> all this research on book thefts made me curious, what's the most stolen publication from public libraries? Number two on the list is the Bible. Why does anyone steal a Bible? I don't know. Maybe they just skimmed the first few pages, didn't get far enough to realize that God's pretty clear about not stealing. <laughs> but here's some of the other things in the top ten. You've got prep books for exams, books on Nazis and occult things. Generally, books people might be too embarrassed to check out. Sure. But the number one book that gets stolen from public libraries, the Guinness Book of World Records. What? I mean, that itself kind of feels like a record. I know. Honestly, I hadn't thought about the Guinness Book in years. I mean, I loved it as a kid. Couldn't wait for the book fair to come so I could pick up a copy. <laughs> but when I heard that fact, it made me wonder, 
Why are we so impressed with records? And what is it about the Guinness Book that's made it such a beloved institution? And who has the record for eating the most baked beans in five minutes? <laughs> so that's what we're digging into today. Important stuff. Hey there, podcast listeners. Welcome to Part-Time Genius. I'm Will Pearson, and as always, I'm joined by my good friend, Mangesh Hatikader. And today's episode is all about world records, how the Guinness Book got its start, how they're cataloged, what countries take the book most seriously. And of course, we'll have a couple terrible quizzes. Who do we have on the line today, Mango? <laughs> We've got Dan Rollman from recordsetter.com. He's terrific. He's going to tell us how his site, which allows you to set all sorts of world records from the comfort of your phone, got its start. All right, so before this episode, it had been years since I looked at the Guinness Book. How about you? Yeah, I remember reading them with friends on the school bus and thumbing through them at the library, but it had been like decades since I held one. Actually, I had a strange experience buying my book for this episode. Oh, yeah, what happened? Well, I went to this big bookstore in my neighborhood and went up to the clerk, who is this judgy literary type. I know. And I said, I'm wondering if you could help me. And he looked eager. And then I said, I'm looking for the Guinness Book of World Records. And as that title spilled out of my mouth, I just watched his face fall. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Why is that? I don't know. It was almost like when I was a kid at the local video store and my friends and I would approach the counter with like City Slickers 2 or some mainstream movie. And the clerk would just judge us because we weren't trying to rent like a Portuguese art film. Yeah, I think you're going to have to explain to our younger listeners what a video store is. <laughs> well, a long time ago, somewhere between when dinosaurs ruled the earth and Netflix took over, <laughs> uh, people used to travel to stores to rent games and movies and sometimes pay exorbitant late fees to them. That's probably the worst fact we've ever told on our show, but uh, <laughs> you were talking about the bookstore experience. Yeah, so I said Guinness Book, and he didn't even bother to look at his computer. He was like, reference. You just go to reference. <laughs> <laughs> but then I started flipping the pages and holy smokes, I honestly forgot just how fun the Guinness book is. Like, of course kids steal this from libraries. Who doesn't want to know what's the most number of bowling balls someone's caught on their forehead? <laughs> it, it's six, by the way. <laughs> like a guy had six bowling balls in a row thrown at him and then he caught them on his forehead one after the other, which is impressive. I don't even know how that works, but I'm guessing presumably there was a seventh ball chucked his way that he didn't catch? <laughs> yeah, the book doesn't mention that, but it does say what the world's largest robot snake is. Which is what? I, <laughs> I, I can tell you're dying to talk about this. Of course I am. It's the Titanoboa. Not only is it 50 feet long, but it was engineered to be a life-size replica of an extinct snake. It's all based on a real fossil. Huh. And apparently the engineers remote controlled it around at science festivals where it goes wild on dance floors. <laughs> I can only imagine. So... I love all those crazy facts, too. What's strange is that when I was a kid, the stuff I really remembered was much more about the guy with the longest mustache or the tallest man in the world. But the book actually has so much general knowledge in there. Like in the 2017 edition, there's a page on the business of sports and how the average NBA player makes 600 times what an NBA cheerleader huh. makes or that the Lakers franchise pulls in $2.6 billion a year. Like, those are real facts, not just stunts like most apples held in a mouth and cut in half by a chainsaw in a minute. <laughs> Which is an actual record, right? Yep, it's Johnny Strange cut 12 apples in half out of Daniela Martin's mouth, of course. <laughs> that sounds terrifying. Also, does the Guinness Book look through all the apples and determine, well, this one wasn't cut exactly down the center, so you're getting docked an apple? I mean, the record keepers are definitely meticulous, which we're going to talk about in a bit, because it sounds like a crazy job. And how you actually get into the Guinness Book is an incredible process. But this guy, Johnny Strange, he is an artist. <laughs> so he also holds the record for most apples held in one's own mouth and cut by chainsaw <laughs> in a minute. He cut eight apples in half in his own mouth. Uh, I get uncomfortable when I point scissors at myself. I can't even imagine, <laughs> like, turning a chainsaw in my own direction. But let's get back to what I think you were saying, which is that the Guinness Book contained more history and economics and just facts about the world than you expected. Yeah, that's right. There are all sorts of facts about geology and earth science, like the longest natural arch, the largest slot canyon. And that's because Guinness Book actually started out as a way to settle argument. Really? Yeah, you know, before people had cell phones or access to the Internet, you might be at a cafe and get into a silly debate or something ridiculous. Like what country dominates synchronized swimming? Sure. Switzerland. 
Okay, well, let's say one of your friends is arguing for Switzerland. You'd be correct. I mean, you never bet against Swiss precision. That's that's true. All right. <laughs> so you're on Team Switzerland, and someone else can't stop praising Russia. And the whole debate gets heated because maybe you've had a few drinks and you're a little too invested. Mm-hmm. But back in the 1950s, there really weren't a lot of ways to settle this without either taking the word of the biggest synchronized swimming fan in the group or maybe calling up a bookie with a specialty in the sport. And because sometimes a drunken argument, no matter how trivial the topic, can lead to a brawl. And that's what the Guinness Book was for. It was actually a peacemaking device to be stocked in bars and settle bickering. Oh, I love that. I feel like the Guinness Book deserves a Nobel Peace Prize, or at least an Ig Nobel Peace Prize. You love the Ig Nobel. <laughs> I do, but this feels so deserving. Speaking of which, do you know what my favorite Ig Nobel Peace Prize is? What's that? Tell me. It's from a few years back, and it went to a mayor in Lithuania. According to the Ig Nobels, he won it for, quote, demonstrating that the problem of illegally parked luxury cars can be solved by running over them with an armored tank. <laughs> I looked up the photos of this. The mayor would actually drive the tank himself over Mercedes and Lexus's parked in bike lanes. No way. And he was right. It solved the problem. I think they're using the word peace ironically there, though. <laughs> yeah, or the ignoble pieces prize. <laughs> also, full confession, I don't know anything about Switzerland's synchronized swimming team. The only thing I do know about the sport is that swimmers use gelatin to keep their hair in place. Yep, it's why their hair is so perfect and shiny. So, <laughs> by the way, Russia is dominant in the sport. They've won 19 international synchronized swimming titles in a row, which I learned from the Guinness Book. See, it, it actually works. <laughs> well, it definitely stopped us from getting in a fist fight. That's true. So do you know what the original argument that spurred the idea for the Guinness Book was? Like, was there one specific thing people were debating? There was, actually. It all started with Sir Hugh Beaver. <laughs> Sir Hugh Beaver. That sounds like a name out of Wind in the Willows. But he's a real person. So Sir Beaver was out on a shooting <laughs> expedition with friends when he took aim at a golden plover and missed. After a few shots, he used the excuse that the plover was the fastest European game bird. And you know how friends are that give each other a hard time. So not only did his friends remind him that he had a bad shot, but they also claimed the red grouse was faster. And so they took their argument to a pub, then to a library. And when they couldn't find the answer, Sir Beaver came up with this idea of this fact book that might help settle pub disputes. And because he was such a big shot at Guinness Brewing, he knew there were over 80,000 pubs in England and Ireland and he hoped they'd create a market. And it isn't that old. Sir Hugh commissioned the first version in 1954 as a promotional giveaway. He hired these twin brothers from London, and they were meticulous fact-checkers to help him write it. But by 1955, it was already this institution. They printed 50,000 copies of the first edition and immediately hit the bestseller list. Which is pretty interesting that the company isn't that old. But you left me on a cliffhanger. Was Sir Hugh right? Was the Golden Plover faster than the Red Grouse? What's funny is that the whole book was started to answer this one question, (laughs) but according to the Society of Guinness Book Collectors, that answer wasn't tackled until the 36th edition, (laughs) where they gave the nod to the Red Grouse, which travels 58 miles an hour. Poor Hugh. I hope his friends aren't mocking him in the afterlife. (laughs) Well, they wrote this thing so apologetically, like the book reads, airspeeds of 70 miles per hour have been claimed, but it is extremely doubtful whether this rapid flying bird can exceed 50 to 55 miles an hour, even in an emergency. (laughs) But at least they waited until Hugh was dead a few decades before broaching the subject. That's so considerate. So who do we have on the line today, Mango? Today we have the number 12 ranked competitive eater in the world and the former world record holder of corn on the cob eating, 47 in 12 minutes. Wow. And also cannoli. And he's the defending champion of the Tour de Donut bicycle race in multiple states. And his name might be familiar to you, Will. It's Yasser Salim. Hey, Yasser. How's it going? guys. <laughs> <laughs> so for full disclosure, when Mangesh and I were at uh, Mental Floss, Yasser worked in the marketing department. So uh, during the weekdays, he'd be working on brilliant marketing ideas. And on the weekends, he'd be off to these crazy uh, competitive eating contests and races and other kinds of extreme activities. We're going to ask him all about those. But Yasser, to start off, how did you get into this world of extreme sports and competitive eating? So back in 2010, my wife and I set a pretty wacky goal of doing the New York City Marathon. She was uh, just coming off some uh, major health thing, and we wanted to set a really big goal for us both. And then I had dabbled in competitive eating a couple years earlier, but I never quite got the hang of it. And I felt like I could do anything after doing a marathon. I thought, well, let me revisit this whole competitive eating thing. <laughs> and 
I, I went in with extra energy and, and thought, you know what, I'm going to give this another shot. And uh, it was really supposed to be just a joke. I wanted to do it one time, something that I could say, you know what, I, I competed at Nathan's. But it turned into like a three-year affair of trying to figure out how to get it how to get there because it's actually a lot harder than people think. Wow, it's amazing. I can remember when we worked together, uh, we were so excited to come see you at the Nathan's contest and you offered us tickets to the spray zone, <laughs> which is the area in front of the competitors. We won't get into the details, but it's I think the best, seats. the best seats in the house. So incredible. So you're the former uh, world cannoli eating champion. In fact, you had a world record in both cannoli eating and corn on the cob eating. Is that correct? That's right. Yeah, I broke the uh, world record last year in corn. I did 47 corn on the cob in 12 minutes. A few years ago, I did uh, cannoli down in Little Italy, New York City, and I set the record. But some of these other contests, there are about 90 major league eating contests a year. So if you can think of something new and you come up with a really smart technique to go in and and, uh, disrupt the competition, there's, there's plenty of contests there out there. And in both cases... In cannoli and in corn, that was how I, I, I just sat down and figured out, well, there must be a better way to eat corn a lot faster than everybody else that they haven't thought of. <laughs> what is that way? With cannoli. <laughs> so I'll tell you. So in cannoli, so there's an outside, there's a, there's a really hard shell on, on cannoli. And um, a lot of the conventional wisdom was like, just uh, put it in and then start crunching away, and the squishy stuff will kind of make its way down your throat, but it's the hard stuff that you have to worry about. <laughs> I thought, well, you know what? I, I'm not going to put the effort of crunching the shell on my teeth. I'm going to crush it in my hand. So pre, I'm going to pre-crunch it. So that's kind of what I did. I, I would grab the cannoli. I'd wear gloves, um, you know, like just uh, rubber <laughs> gloves, and I'd, I'd, crunch, I'd crush them, and then I'd just shove each one into my mouth, and that... That's what uh, that's what got me to 31. So of course, nobody thought of it. It was just like it was there on the table, and I took it. I also wanted you to explain the concept of the Tour de Donut. We obviously mentioned the fact that you've you've won this race in multiple states, but how does the Tour de Donut work? And and explain the whole idea of the how the timing is kept. Um, the format is generally about a 36 mile race, and you have two donut stops like at the 12 mile mark. And at the 24-mile mark, you get off your bike at the 12-mile mark, you set your bike aside, and then they have uh, glazed donuts there from your, the local donut shop. And you eat as many as you possibly can. Now, the person, if for every donut that you eat, you get a three- to five-minute time credit, uh, depending upon which race it is. And then you do the same at the second stop. You know, you get off your bike again, and you do it again. And you can vomit. Um, you'll be disqualified immediately, thankfully, so there's no mess on the course. Um, <laughs> my record is 55 donuts over the course of a 36-mile race, um, <laughs> and that put me in negative territory. So I'm actually going back in time every time I do one of these races. That's incredible. Just eat a bunch of donuts and you go back in time. <laughs> that's, uh, that's impressive. So It's very challenging. I can tell you. The, just biking 36 miles, uh, uh, you know, a good clip, 20 miles an hour or more, is difficult. But to me, adding the donuts in there adds a, a bit of, of, of skill. But it's really fun. Everybody, I mean, I approach it like it's, it's just a fun thing that I get to do on the weekend. I get to eat the donuts, which I love donuts. Mm-hmm. I love bikes. So why not put them both together? Yeah, sounds good to me. So... Well, we wanted to put Yasser to the challenge today, although he has the big Nathan's Eating Contest coming up in just a few days. Of course, this episode will publish just a few days after the uh, the big Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest. So we're excited to see how you do, Yasser. I'm sure you'll improve over last year. But what game are we playing with Yasser today, Mango? We're playing a little game called Mouthful of Donut. And it's uh, more than a quiz because we're going to try to set a world record. Most donut holes eaten while answering four trivia questions about donuts in 60 seconds. All right. So the most donut holes eaten while answering four trivia questions about donuts in 60 seconds. Wow, what a record. Okay. <laughs> so we've got four trivia questions here. We're going to ask you a question, uh, let Yasser answer, and then while he's stuffing his face, we're going to ask him another, and we'll see how many donuts we can get through, or donut holes we can get through. And by we, I mean he. Okay, so... All right, so Yasser, do you have all your supplies ready? You got your donut holes, you got your water, you got everything else you might need. I got my water, I got my donut holes, and I'm ready. Okay, let's do it, Mango. Three, 
two, one, go. All right, Yasser, what city has the highest donut shops per person? Boston. That's yeah. Boston, I heard it. Uh, All right, let's let him. Boston. Yes, let's let him eat a few donuts. And which Legend of Sleepy Hollow author is credited with the first use of the word donut in print? Yes. All right. What Oregon donut shop used to make a medicine donut co- coated with NyQuil? Oh, I know that one. I know that one. I know that one. It's, um, oh, man. Voodoo. Voodoo donut. That's Voodoo right. Donut. And 50 what, seconds. What role did Renee Zellweger gain weight for by eating 20 donuts a day? <laughs> One second, time. <laughs> All right, let's let him let's let him chew and swallow, and then we'll get an official count of our donut eating. Okay, done. How'd you do? Thirteen. Oh, we ate thirteen donuts. I mean, that's got to be a record, a world record, right? <laughs> While answering four trivia questions about donuts, about donuts. Yes, that's got to be a world record. So, in addition to hopefully setting a new world record, what else has Yasser won, Mango? Well, aside from the joy of his new accomplishment, we'll be sending him a bottle of Pepto-Bismol. All right. So, Yasser, good yeah. luck this coming week uh, at the Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest. And then you said just right after that, what do you have coming up? I am defending my title at the Tour de Donut um, in Staunton, Illinois, the 29th annual Tour de Donut. This will be my third year um, defending my title. And I'm hoping to hit... At least uh, 56 donuts this year. I did 55 last year. 56 donuts. That's my number this year. All right. Well, good luck to you. It's always a pleasure to talk to you, and uh, thanks for coming on to Part-Time Genius. We love you, Yasser. We're rooting for you. Love you guys. Today I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm J.B. Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at slash hypergig for details. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do, too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. You're listening to Part-Time Genius, and we're talking about the Guinness Book of World Records. So, Mango, what's your favorite part of the Guinness Book? I mean, there's so much fun stuff in there, but I love the strange personal feats. Like, I always remember seeing a photo of the dude with the longest fingernails in the world as a kid, and that's always the first thing I think about. In fact, almost every fact enthusiast I've talked to mentions that pic. Yeah, those visuals are so unforgettable, and I think for kids, it's something both so creepy-looking but also so ordinary. Like, not clipping your nails can get you in the Guinness Book. It's kind of insane. And I guess the thing that didn't occur to me when I was a kid, and the thing that I really wanted to hear more of, 
And maybe this is what separates it from being put in the kids' hobby section, but I want to hear more of the stories of the people behind these records. You can find a few articles on people, and you can find some of the stories on Guinness's YouTube page, but take the guy Sridhar Chilal, who hadn't cut his nails on his left hand in 62 years. It's like his left hand is growing roots. It surprises me every single time I look at it. Yeah, but his story is insane. Like, as a high school kid, he threw a ball at a teacher playfully, and the teacher yelled at him because he chipped the teacher's nails, and the teacher told him he'd never understand the beauty of having long nails. <laughs> so he and his friend, as a joke, started growing their nails out, and then he kind of gets enamored with it. So he keeps growing the nails on his left hand, and people call him dirty because of it. They start treating him badly. When his parents try to arrange his marriage years later, 12 families reject him. Oh, wow. And when the families don't reject him, the girls do because they think he's a monster and that he'll strangle them <sighs> at night. Like, he can't get a job because of the way he looks. Even putting on a shirt is hard. I mean, it's so depressing. But he grows them and grows them to this insane length. And to keep them preserved, not only does he treat them with a special product, but when he's sleeping and he wants to roll over, he has to carefully move his entire hand to the other side of the bed. He claims he rolls over every 30 minutes, so he never gets a full night of sleep. Wow. And all this for a little bit of fame. And in his mind, he thinks he'll get paid a lot for the nails to be in a museum later and that there's a good bit of money that'll come to him now. And maybe it will. Let's hope, but he just takes such pride in those nails. They're like 30 feet long now and gnarled, but he sees them as this thing of beauty, and he loves that people like you and me know who he is, and also that he never has to wait in line. In a line? Like where? Like at the club? <laughs> I don't know. This is what he says, but I think it's like at the market. Of course, in India, your left hand is the one you use to clean yourself, so I'm not sure how he's performing certain tasks. Well, I do like some of these personal stories, like you were telling me about the British woman who holds the record for the youngest female with a full beard. That's another video Guinness did. Her name's Harnan Kaur, and her story's amazing because she has a genetic disorder that gave her this lush facial hair at a young age. At some point, she chose to ignore the relentless bullying she was facing and just decided to embrace the beard, which had to be so insanely difficult. Yeah. She's very feminine, actually, and really quite striking. And I don't know that she wants the extra attention, but the reason she's chosen to be in the Guinness Book is that having all this facial hair drove her to have suicidal thoughts when she was younger. And when she realized that her life was worth more than that, she wanted to help others with body image issues to learn to accept themselves. She's really remarkable. Yeah, she is. Well, as much as the book is filled with thousands and thousands of world records, you're not really considering what's driving each person to be in this book. So one thing that surprised me in researching Guinness was just how popular it is in India. I mean, there are a few big record-keeping authorities in the country. Guinness is one, Limca, which is basically India's Sprite, is another. But there's this great New York Times story on the only Guinness judge who lives in India, and he's running around the country trying to verify records and just how exhausting it is, but also how obsessed Indians are with numbers. Well, why do you think this is? Well, I mean, part of it is just that India, from my experience of it, loves trivia in a way I haven't seen anywhere else. There's an obsession with general knowledge, and having a book of records definitely fits into that category. But I also think that in a place with such disparity of wealth and resource— being the best in the world at something and being recognized for it is something that gives people pride and purpose. Yeah, it seemed that there are actually some academic papers written about this topic and how the records feel like such a great leveler in a place where the odds can feel stacked against you. Exactly. Like the Times piece has all these funny stories. It talks about the problems of trying to verify a handshake gathering where millions of people turn up to participate. I mean, that's a headache for one judge. No kidding. You have to register and verify each person and count them and ensure that they're all shaking hands at the same time. <laughs> it's like a giant fact-checking problem that could take days to sort. And there's a story of a young athlete trying to beat a light bulb hurling record, which is also great. <laughs> but at the end of the piece, there's this story about this farmer who does squats every day. And at 50, he realizes he could potentially beat the world record. And when the Guinness judge asks him why he cares about a squat record, it's all because his daughter is marrying into a better family. And his quote is, I want her husband's family to know that I'm worth something. I want to make a mark. Oh, that's heartbreaking. I know, and kind of beautiful. I mean, I love these stories because you don't think about the desperation and work that goes into trying to set these records and the different motivations. Like for me, I either assumed they were always like publicity stunts. Well, Gary's Enchilada Shack is trying to break the world's largest enchilada record. <laughs> right. And Guinness actually has an arm that works with corporations to build out those events. Or I assumed it was attention seekers, but... 
of a more fun variety, like most baked beans eaten in five minutes, which is 271. So that's a Shreda Furman's record, right? Mm -hmm. He is the best. I know he held over 100 records simultaneously at one point. Yeah, I think it was 131 records at the same time. And he's broken over 600 records in his career. He's wow. done everything from like pogoing up Mount Fuji to underwater jump roping to fastest mile using two shovels of stilts. Like, <laughs> he actually has the long distance sack racing record, which for some reason involved racing a yak. I mean, the man's a beast. Also, how much do you love his nickname, Mr. Versatility? <laughs> a lot. Although if I had his name, I'd probably go by Ashrita the Fur Monster Furman. That's good. <laughs> or the Furminator. I mean, Mr. Versatility has a lot of options. But before we get into his secrets or breaking records and how you can too, why don't we break for a quiz? Sounds good. So our guest today has one of the coolest jobs in the world. As the CEO of Record Setter, he's created a new digital home for world records, making it easier for humans to compete in important categories like most quarters fit inside a belly button and longest office chair train pulled by a motorcycle. Dan Rollman, we've spent way too much time watching videos on your site, and we're big fans of your work. So welcome to Part-Time Genius. Thank you so much. It's great to be with you guys. All right. Well, let's dive right into it. Tell us about your early obsession with records. Sure. Um, well, I always say Record Setter uh, started probably when I was a 10-year-old kid and got my first Guinness Book of World Records book. Um, and it instantly became my favorite uh, book on my bookshelf. I was endlessly obsessed with the pictures of the guy with the long curvy fingernails <laughs> and the, uh, <laughs> the, the world's fattest twins on the motorcycles. Yeah, these images just became uh, indelible in my mind. And I really, from a young age, just thought that owning a world record myself would possibly be the coolest thing I could do in my lifetime. For some reason, I tried to a uh, girl in college by telling her that I thought I was going to become the, the world record holder in ravioli eating. <laughs> um, so I, I looked into ravioli eating, and then I also was researching the, the longest time riding a roller coaster. Um, and I quickly realized that I was not a particularly fast um, eater. And I quickly realized that I was never going to ride a roller coaster for days on end. Wow. Um, but, but, but just that idea stuck with me that somehow someday I, I, I wanted to hold the title of being the world's best at something. I did not successfully, uh, get, get, get the lady with my ravioli. <laughs> That's shocking. I don't understand how that didn't work out. <laughs> I heard some of this started at Burning Man. Can you tell us a little about that? Sure. Um, so I started going to Burning Man in 2002. And after a couple of years, my friends and I were really excited to develop a theme camp that had a real interactive component. We liked the idea of something that would allow other people at Burning Man to come up to our space and engage with us in a fun, creative manner. And since I'd had this lifelong obsession with world records, I said, what if we become the official world record camp, essentially, of, of Burning Man, kind of the the governing body for all world records set in the desert. Uh, so we created uh, a camp in 2004 called the Playa Book of Records. The Playa is what burners call the, the desert area out there. Mm -hmm. And we all put on a bunch of uh, yellow sports coats that were inspired by Howard Cosell era wide world of sports. <laughs> and we and we just said to people, come on up and we're going to make you a world champion. That's and awesome. it was it was amazing because I could see from the first day we we set up shop that I was not the only person out there who had had these dreams of being a world champion. And people were really excited by this opportunity of, of like, what? You guys really you're going to help me set like my own world record. <laughs> uh, so so in the first years and we did it for five for five years, we saw things like the fastest accordion rendition that the devil went down to Georgia. <laughs> um, the most consecutive backflips on stilts was one that blew us away. Oh, wow. um, we had uh, like people would come up and do balloon twisting. Like I think it was like the most balloon animals made in 30 seconds. Uh, you know, we just, we just saw kind of this endless parade of, of people coming up and being creative and, 
And clearly getting a deep sense of joy when we said, great, congratulations, we're, we're recognizing this as an official world record. <laughs> so this project kept evolving and then inspired by, by Wikipedia as much as anything, I, I felt that there would be an opportunity to take what we were doing in the desert and put it onto the internet and love the open, democratic, participatory approach of Wikipedia um, for encyclopedic information and said, what happens if we try and do the same thing with human achievement? So we launched in 2008 um, what was originally called the Universal Record Database, urdb.org. And it was the same premise that we had um, given people at Burning Man. We, we, we gave the same invitation to the world. So, Dan, I love that you once held the record for the most bananas stuffed down a pair of pants <laughs> while wearing them. So how how fun is it to see an entirely new category of record open up and, and what are some of your favorites? Um, so, yeah, the first time, so the first world record that I set, um, which I actually did at Burning Man, was the uh, most times whistling happy birthday in one minute. <laughs> and, and what's that number, by uh, the way? So I think I had done at 15 or 16 or something. I, I did it pretty quickly. I'll give you a quick <laughs> example. <laughs> so, uh, right on key. <laughs> exactly. I'm, I'm, um, so I had, I had this record up and again, I would tell people like, yeah, I hold the world record for the most times whistling a happy birthday in one minute and had this great sense of pride. And then we launched the website and within maybe a month or so, it got, my record got broken by a teenager in San Diego who I really like, when it happened that day, I was angry at him. Like, I, I just couldn't believe that this jerk had taken away my dreams and uh, stolen my world record for most times whistling happy birthday. But over the years, as I set more world records and basically watched, I think, all of them or almost all of them get broken, I've come to really find a deep joy in watching people break my records. And the analogy that I use is it feels like I've, I've written a song and somebody's covering it, but they're actually doing a better job playing the song than, than I did originally. Mm-hmm. Um, so for a category like most bananas fit in a pair of pants while wearing them, I, did, I had done 60 and thought that I had set a pretty, pretty high mark. And then it suddenly got broken by a, a radio DJ in Australia. And then I think some guy in Texas maybe holds the record now. And we've seen this time and time again on Record Setter, where we have a lot of these really obtuse categories. Like we've had people compete in the, in the category for most giraffe tattoos on a shoulder. We've had a couple guys go back and forth. And <laughs> um, another one of my favorite categories that's become very competitive and I think could become an Olympic sport someday, is the longest high five. So it began with these two guys in Toronto uh, who call themselves the Record Collection. They set themselves up uh, several kilometers uh, apart from each other in downtown Toronto, and they ran towards each other with a camera following each of them and (laughs) set the world record for the literally the longest high five they ran towards each other. So sort of like a two person (laughs) running race. And then that exploded into a globally competitive category. And I I think the records, gosh, I haven't looked in a while, but I'm pretty sure it's over 10 miles. So it's become this two person running race. Both participants have to keep their arm up for the duration of the, of the run. And, the moments at the end of these runs where they actually see each other and uh, and exchange the high five. It's just uh, it's jubilation every time. <laughs> That's pretty terrific. I love that. <laughs> All right. Well, this has been a lot of fun, and we are now ready to put you to the test. Mango, what game are we playing with Dan today? So this is a game called the Rename Game, and since Record Setters originally went by a different name, the URDB, before taking on the sleeker moniker, we thought it'd be fun to quiz Dan on some other industry giants and the names their companies used to be called. Okay, right. So we'll give you an old name and a clue, and you'll tell us the name of the current company. Uh, so we'll see how many of these you can answer in 60 seconds. Is that right, mm-hmm. Mango? All yeah. right. So, Dan, we're going to put 60 seconds on the clock. I'll ask you questions, and you just keep answering as many as you can. Maybe you'll set a world record. We'll see. Does that sound good? I was, I was thinking that. Sounds great. <laughs> okay. This Oregon-based sneaker company was called Blue Ribbon Sports before it was renamed for a Greek goddess. Nike. 
right? This Lad magazine was called Stag Party before it was renamed by Hugh Hefner. Playboy. Right, this Larry and Sergey internet search company was called Backrub before it was renamed. Google. This choice of a new generation cola was called Brad's Drink before it was renamed. Oh, Pepsi. This big electronic box store and home to the Geek Squad was called Sound of Music before it was renamed. Best Buy. This maker of smartphone devices was called Research in Motion before taking a fruitier name. Obama famously had one when he started his first term in the White House. Blackberry. That's right. This Eat Fresh sandwich chain was called Pete Super Submarines before it was renamed. Pete is the man. Uh, Subway. (laughs) (laughs) This number one rental car company was called Drive Yourself before it was renamed for measurement for frequency. Hertz. That is correct. And I think we do have a world record for most correct questions answered in the rename game on Part-Time Genius. <laughs> yes. Congratulations, yes. Let's, see that, Dan. let's see if that teenager from San Diego can beat that record. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so how many did he get correct, Mango? Dan scored an astounding eight for eight, which earns them an official certificate of admiration from us here at Part-Time Genius. So wow. congratulations, congratulations, Dan. Congratulations, Dan. High five. Thank you so much. (laughs) Well, I hope all of our listeners will check out Record Setter and aim to set a record of their own. Dan, thanks so much for joining us on Part-Time Genius. My pleasure. Thanks so much, guys. Today, I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm J.B. Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at slash hypergig for details. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. So we were talking about Ashrita Furman, who's a legend on the Guinness circuit. What's his secret? Well, I think part of it is that it's the same sense of validation everyone's looking for. Some people run marathons to prove it to themselves, right? And for someone like Ashrita, who apparently gained confidence after finding a guru and getting into spirituality and meditation, he wanted to push his body in fun ways. So he started by doing 27,000 jumping jacks. Whoa. And then he moved on to things like long-distance somersaulting or whatever. But it also seems like one of his better skills is creating funny new categories that get attention. Yeah, you're right. There are a lot of rules for getting into the Guinness Book because they're super strict. I mean, they're getting flooded with 50,000 new record claims a year, and only three or 4,000 of them make it into the book, and they care about the accuracy. But Ashrita is particularly good at gaming the system. Right. I mean, he's particularly good at creating spectacles. Mm -hmm. I mean, you need two witnesses, and you have to do this in a public space and have multiple cameras and media. There are lots of conditions, and part of the reason he incorporates places like Mount Fuji and the pyramids into his attempts is that it's just an easier way to draw press. Exactly, but he also understands the rules. Like, Guinness is pretty specific about what they will and won't admit. There's an interview on Freakonomics with the editor of the Guinness book, 
which is really great. But it shows how hard the job is and where the Guinness Book draws some of the lines. Like, they won't let you put an animal in harm or another person, but you're free to put yourself at danger. And in addition, they only want categories with one variable. So, like the example he gives is someone submitting for heaviest person to raft a particular river. And that just opens up a can of worms for them because in addition to verifying that, they have to open up the category to lightest person on a raft on that river, male-female considerations, and then they'd have to open up to every river. And you can see how that sort of snowballs. Yeah, yeah. Well, when we talked to Dan, his analogy was really interesting to me. So a site like Record Setter, where anyone can enter a new category with video evidence and it's self-patrolled in a Wikipedia way, is such a smart idea. It really does feel like a Wikipedia model to the Guinness Book's Britannica. Which is interesting, right? It democratizes the whole process and takes away all the need for judging and at the same time allows everyone to feel special. You could see how something like this would take off in India. You get quick validation instead of having to write to Guinness and wait for two months for a response. And even here, I mean, Record Setter is all over Jimmy Fallon. Like, I think Cameron Diaz held the record for the most bunny snuggled in a hammock. Yeah, she did that on the show. And the thing is, everyone's good at something. You just have to figure out what that is. It's like that guy, David Kalb, who's the best in the world at horse. He beat LeBron James because he mounted the hoop on a forklift and then did trick shots to a basket that was like 30 feet in the air. Yeah. And if you have enough variables and the right stack of talents, you can be the best in the world at something. So we should probably figure out what ridiculous records we should try to set. <laughs> Listeners, if you have any thoughts on that, please email them in to parttimegenius at howstuffworks.com. And we'll work on trying to break some ridiculous records in the not-so-distant future. But back to Guinness. With competition like Record Setter, which has caught fire in a surprisingly big way, what do you think will happen to Guinness? Is it bound to go the way of Britannica? I don't know. I mean, they have evolved. They do video game records and have a strong site online. And I think there's so many good stories in there. The books are really just a good way to get kids into learning. And I feel like there's value in the publishing and TV arms. But, you know, Guinness has changed hands a few times in the last few years. And what's interesting is that they're now owned by the company that owns the Ripley's Believe It or Not Museums. Hmm. And they want to build these big combined Guinness-Ripley museums where you can go with your family and try to set your own records like for the loudest family scream or the longest laugh, which maybe gives the brand a new leash. Huh. All I know is that I've loved reacquainting with the book, and I have no intention of growing out my fingernails to compete on that front, but I do plan to chain my Guinness book to my desk and inscribe it with a threatening note so that no one <laughs> takes it away from me. That's great. That's a brilliant idea. Well, one thing that's going to be harder to protect is your part-time genius fact-off record. <laughs> Are you ready to drop some knowledge? And by drop knowledge... I mean, share super nerdy facts that we couldn't get into the episode earlier. So here's a quick one to get us going. While the U.S. has the most records on record, per capita, the Vatican City is the greatest source of records. Roughly nine claims come from the Vatican every year, from a population of only 920 people. <laughs> I want to see what those records are. Me too. Three of the most common records to break also sound like they're being trained for at preschools. Largest finger painting, <laughs> longest reading aloud marathon, and largest group hug are all records that are regularly challenged and broken. Nice. Kevin Shelley set the record for the most toilet seats broken by one's head in 2008. He made his family proud, shattering 46 <laughs> of them in a minute. That's crazy. I know. The record for most people riding on a surfboard is 66. Of course, if I had 65 other people on a board with me, I feel like I'd have a better chance of learning surfing, too. <laughs> the highest shallow dive was accomplished by Professor Splash on Chinese TV. What's a high shallow dive? It's what it sounds like. So he jumped from nearly 38 feet in the air into a kiddie pool filled with 12 inches of water. Oh, that's insane. So here's a cute one. Blackie the cat is the world's wealthiest cat. He inherited $12.5 million. And I don't know about you, but I need to find myself a sugar cat. Blackie, if you're listening, call me. A sugar cat. Oh, good luck with that. So. <laughs> Most number of fatalities in a crocodile attack used to be a category. Do you want to elaborate on that? Oh, not really, except please don't tangle with saltwater crocodiles on Ramry Island. They hold the record for a reason. <laughs> well, I'm not tangling with any crocodiles. But here's one about a shark. When the Guinness Book of World Records honored Jonathan Lee Riches as the most litigious man in the world, he did what he did best. 
He sued them. Of course he did. Okay, I'll give you this round. But before we go, we should figure out who we should add to our Hall of Genius. What do you think about adding Sir Hugh Beaver to the mix? I feel like he created the Guinness Book. He honored millions of people while delighting others. He encouraged generation upon generation to be their best selves. Even if that best self meant uh, trying to crack more than 72 eggs in a minute by sitting on them. (laughs) (laughs) But Sir Beaver doesn't win that many awards anymore. And I think he deserves one today. I agree. So the record stops today. Sir Beaver, your certificate will be in the mail shortly. That's it for today's episode of Part-Time Genius. Thank you so much for listening. You know what I thought about including? Farthest distance to throw and catch a running chainsaw. (laughs) It's four meters. Thanks again for listening. Part-Time Genius is a production of How Stuff Works and wouldn't be possible without several brilliant people who do the important things we couldn't even begin to understand. Tristan McNeil does the editing thing. Noel Brown made the theme song and does the mixy-mixy sound thing. (laughs) Jerry Rowland does the exact producer thing. Gabe Luzier is our lead researcher with support from the research army, including Austin Thompson, Nolan Brown, and Lucas Adams. And Eve Jeffcoat gets the show to your ears. Good job, Eves. If you like what you heard, we hope you'll subscribe. And if you really, really like what you've heard, maybe you could leave a good review for us. Did we, did we forget Jason? Based on who? Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cash back on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists, like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club.